we have in this congregation had the privilege over the last number of years to meet people from Spurgeon's College and Urban Expression and the UK Anabaptist Network uh, and gotten to know some of the work they do. But Brethren in Christ World Mission also has a presence in London. And this morning we are privileged to have um, Angelina Shannon, uh, who serves with uh, BICWM. Everybody get to know the acronyms? Acronyms are important in the church. That's an FLA, a five-letter acronym. B-I-C-W-M. Well, TLA is a three-letter acronym. Yeah. yeah well. So uh, we are uh, blessed to have Angelina with us, and she's going to share about her work and the work of the team in London. So please come. Good morning, everyone. It's such a privilege to be here. It's my first time in California. Came in yesterday, and I love it. <laughs> I came from snowy Pennsylvania, so I'm really enjoying the weather. Um, let me just share a story with you. I was sitting in a boat in London, in a canal, a houseboat, and I was sitting with my friend Helen. She lives on the boat with her husband, like a little camper, but in the water. And she invited our friends, Tyra and Figget and Salma, and me to have lunch at the boat. And as we were sitting there, Tyra was talking about going to the cemetery to visit her parents' graves. And these friends are Muslim, um, by the way. And she was talking about this and how the obligations of visiting and the different things. And I mentioned that I want to be like my great-grandfather. When he was a week before his 93rd birthday, he had, um, well, a few days before that, he'd had a stroke and or heart attack, and he was ready to go home. He was waiting for, so excited to meet Jesus and to go home. And I said, that's the kind of life I want to live, and that's the thing I look forward to when I come to the end of my life. And my friend was saying, well, you know, the longer that you live, the more chance you have to do bad things. And then when you die, you will be punished for all those bad things. And I just sat there and I felt so sad because this is her view of life and her view of God. This is the Muslim perspective that God will punish every Muslim for every bad thing they've done before they have an opportunity or even a chance at going to heaven. So when I talk with my friends, we have opportunities to engage and talk about faith. They are people of faith. More than the average secular American or British person, the Muslim people are people of faith and they want to talk about God. And so when I meet people, it comes up usually in the first conversation about prayer or about the mosque or about what it means to be Muslim. And so I get to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Um, you can go to the next slide. Just a casual picture of our team. I don't have Paul on there. Paul and Claire kiss. Um, Claire's on the side. And their three kids are from Canada. They're part of the Brethren in Christ. And they went in 2009 to East London to start a work there. Now you may have heard of Jay Smith and his teaching about Islam um, around the world, but he does a lot of debate and a lot of talking, um, teaching. But we wanted to start a ministry that was a local ministry, building relationships every day in that area, uh, rather than speaking sort of uh, with lots of people. So Paul and Claire started in 2009, We've gathered a few other people from the area, although, as is typical of London, these six people are from New Zealand, Switzerland, Northern Ireland, Ireland, and um, two from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, and then those from Canada, and myself. 
from Pennsylvania. So we gathered our team together and we meet on a regular basis and then we go out in the streets and we meet Muslim people and we talk to them. Um, the next picture. This is a little bit about our goal. Our passion is to see Muslim people move from the Bible, from the Quran, sorry, to the Bible and from Muhammad to Jesus. They respect Jesus and revere him as a prophet, but they don't worship him as the son of God. And they don't, actually, most of them don't read the Bible to see what he taught. They just say he was a good man. So we encourage them to read the Bible. And um, our, our goal is to communicate the truth and the love of Jesus Christ with our Muslim friends and neighbors. So what, whatever we do, and I'll share some of the things, some of the activities that we're doing there. The next slide. This is a few of the mosques that are within 10 minutes of where our center is located. Um, and then you'll, the numbers are hard to see, but the top one has 4,000 people that attend regularly. This one is 900, and the bottom one is 1,200, but it is only men. So as is typical in many mosques, um, not all of them, but many, women are not allowed to worship there. In, in every mosque where women are allowed to worship, the men are in the front and the women are in the back, or they're up in the balcony. Um, out of sight from the men to not distract them. And in the other mosques, in some of them, the women can't. They don't even have a place to go. They worship at home. So that 1,200 represents many more families than 1,200 people. Um, but these are the areas right around us within walking distance. In our borough, Waltham Forest Borough, one in five people in 2011, one in five was Muslim. And in the neighboring borough in Newham, no, it was in Tower Hamlets, one in every three is Muslim. And you don't think of Britain being like that, but that's true. Most of them, the growth is because of birth rate and immigration, but then they also talk about the, those who are converting, and there are numbers of British people converting to Islam. So, but mostly it's the birth rate and the immigration. But it's something that, Islam is a missionary faith, so they're going out. My Somali friend, the first time, second time I met her, right away, you should become Muslim, and here's why, and all these things trying to tell me. But as a Christian, as somebody who, wants, who believes in Jesus and who follows Jesus and has a personal, living, living relationship with Jesus, I am not afraid to be able to hear that and to respond with confidence. And that, as we are in London as well, um, we want to encourage the church to not be afraid. I think often the response is, I, I would be afraid if somebody said that to me. How would I answer if a Muslim said to me, well, Jesus isn't the Son of God? Or if a Muslim said, the Bible's been corrupted. Or if they said, God couldn't have a son. How could God go to the bathroom? Or they would say things like, God couldn't let his prophet die on a cross. That's so much suffering. He doesn't allow that for his prophets. How could I answer these questions unless I had a confidence or unless I'd had a chance to study some of these answers? So this is the kind of questions we get in everyday conversation. And if you have, if any of you have met Muslim people around here. I understand there's a diverse population. So maybe if you've had a chance to meet some people, you might have heard these, um, these kinds of questions. And I want to encourage you to, to learn some answers, to engage in discussion um, with them. Okay, what's the next? These are some of my friends. Um, one of the things I was talking with my friends as we, as the one who's in the headscarf, I was talking with her as we're walking down the street. And she, we were talking if she came to visit to my house. And she looked at me and she just kind of whispered. She's like, do you eat P-I-G? 
She's like, I can't even say it. And I thought, wow, you know, Islam is a religion that has so many rules. If you read the Old Testament, add a few, that's, that's the kind of rules that they're living under. And so many, it's very different. I mean, every Muslim is different, just like every Christian is different. But this in general is the kind of lifestyle they're living. So I said to her, you know, if you come to my house, don't worry, there will be no pork, there will be no alcohol, the things that are so strongly forbidden, um, nothing offensive to her. But I wanted to build the relationship. Now, she and I were, I met her at the gym um, doing a Bhangra aerobics class. Bhangra music is Indian, so many Asian or Pakistani Indian people very came to this class. And so I met her along with some other women. She wanted to go to the sauna. And there we are sitting in the sauna in an, in an intimate environment. Women only, of course, but a place where she can take off her headscarf, a place we can be just comfortable. And that's where we can have conversations. Um, so anywhere you can suffer for Jesus. Um, <laughs> anywhere you can have these conversations and talk about Jesus. Um, but there she was saying, you know, how Islam is hard. You know, you can't leave Islam or that's it. And according to Islamic law, that's the case. In many countries, um, that is the case by law. In those countries where it's not, for example, in Pakistan, most of my friends are from Pakistan, it's not illegal to leave Islam, but if you leave, you will probably suffer either persecution from your family or they would kill you. So it's that fear of, um, I can't leave this religion. And she talked about a number of other things um, about why it's hard. Um, so then she talks about, I mean, they talk about good things, too. I, want, I don't want to paint um, their, their life or their faith as a, as a very negative. It's, there's a lot of good things, a lot of things that I respect and value. Um, what's the next picture? Um, this is us just having a ladies' meeting. Um, we have a tea every, about every two weeks or sometimes once a month. We invite women from the community in. And so we have Christians and Muslims, and we taught, Claire taught everyone how to make pizza. And then one of their ladies taught us how to make aloo paratha, which is, um, paratha is like a bread, so it's like a flat bread. So it's like a potato pancake, kind of flat. And so we were able to learn a little bit of Pakistani food. And, and in these social environments, the conversations come out. So we're creating social environments and creating the opportunities for conversation. I already mentioned some of the, you can go to the next slide, some of the questions that they ask. So on a weekly basis, we as Christians are meeting and addressing and talking about and discussing these topics, the theology um, and the answers. I, didn't, I thought I knew my Bible. I thought I knew theology before I went to London. And I've had so many questions and challenges. I've had to really dig into it. They challenge the Trinity all the time. And so it's something we really need. I'm sure for a number of you, that might be something you would feel a little bit stuck. How do I explain this? Um, to somebody who says, there's only one God, you can't believe in three gods. And I say, well, we don't believe in three gods. <laughs> we believe in one God whose, whose nature is expressed in these three different ways. Um, so we have to spend a lot of time studying, and that's part of our weekly um, schedule. The next thing, um, as we study, we do or have meetings for better understanding. So we invite a respected leader from the mosque, and we have a Christian as well, and they talk and discuss issues, um, theology issues. We might have one topic about why is there evil and suffering in the world, from a Christian perspective, from a Muslim perspective. And it's not a debate, they don't argue with each other, but they express their, their own 
side, and then we have a meal together, and everyone at the tables can talk. It opens the conversation for a theological discussion, for talking about Jesus. And it's really exciting to be able to get into those conversations and to share testimony. I mean, it's, it opens the door right up for sharing testimony. On March 6th, there will be a ladies' meeting for better understanding um, in London. So I ask you to pray for that one, ladies only. They sometimes feel more free to talk and to ask questions when there aren't men around. Um, so they, we often do separate events. Although when the ones we have with men, women are invited if they want to come. Um, according to, if you take a look in Acts chapter 17, chapter 18, um, you'll read verses like this. Paul and his companions came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Later on, you'll read, Paul and Silas went away to Berea, to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And then later, while Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy in Athens, he reasoned in the synagogue, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. In chapter 18, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. He has a pattern of going and reasoning and discussing and engaging in conversation. And that's what we do. We are in the marketplace, we're in homes. As a woman, I often I make a relationship maybe at the gym or at English class or tutoring. My degree was in math, so tutoring in math. Um, and then I'm in somebody's home, and I'm able to talk, and I'm able to invite them to my house. And those conversations happen naturally. Nothing that you can't do. It's the same thing that you can do here. And I encourage you to go out and to meet people here and make those kind of connections as well whether it's going to your local Pakistani restaurant or and getting to, going every month, every two weeks, getting to know the owner, building a relationship, going to the Indian market, or going to the, maybe you have Arabs here, going to get to know the Arab community, building relationships every day, and then following up and meeting them regularly. This is, um, sorry, just back one more. That was a picture of, in the street, if you've heard Jay Smith talk about Speaker's Corner, this is Speaker's Corner. We also go to many other places um, in our area. That's not in our borough, but, and we meet people in the street. That's more the man's environment, because especially when Islam, the women stay at home a lot. Um, but sometimes I would go out and talk to the women as well. So the next slide. I mentioned our ladies' events. This one was one we called Focus on Beauty, and the women love well, there was a lady that did a manicure and painted everybody with the henna. Um, you might have seen henna designs. She gave everyone a henna tattoo. And, um, and then we talked about beauty. And a Christian woman shared her testimony, really, about beauty in a poetic form. Because in Pakistan, the Urdu language is extremely poetic. They even go, they'll have poetry events. One of the people that, um, that partners with us, they have a men's poetry night. And it's very popular. Uh, in, in Urdu and in Punjabi, so I can't necessarily understand, but um, they have those kind of events. Next slide. 
We love food. <laughs> That's, I just wanted to share that everything we do is surrounded by food, and that opens people up. I'm sure you're familiar with that. But the next one. This is a family that I was tutoring for probably two years. Every week I would be at their house. And we talked about many things. Um, they're from Bangladesh. Um, talking about food, when my parents came, so that's my mom and my sister there. My dad was taking the picture. And when they came to visit me, this family said, oh, they have to come to our house. Now, traditionally, they set us four down, and then they didn't eat with us, but they talked with us. They made 20 main dishes and eight desserts for the four of us. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is hospitality at its greatest and finest. Very, very lovely part of their culture. Um, very appreciative of it. But this father, we've had many conversations with the kids. They have religious education class at school, so the boys were asking me not just about math, but about, tell me the story of the Good Samaritan. We have a test tomorrow. Or tell me why Good Friday is called good. Wasn't very good for Jesus, now was it? <laughs> and I mean, they're asking great questions. It opens the door for me to share the gospel with a family that is not otherwise open to hearing it. And I wanna say, please pray for this family. This father twice said to me, please take me to heaven with you. Pray for them that they will. He has so many objections to Christianity, but he sees something. He has, um, he's objected to God, not, not the Christian view, but his view is that God plays with us like toys. He just does what he wants, and he's whimsical. Now that is Islamic, that God is whimsical, he does what he wants, he doesn't have to keep his promises because he, he's God. Whereas we know that God is faithful, and he's revealed that to us. And so we know he will keep his promises. Um, yeah, so I ask you to pray for him. Um, I'll go to, I think the next one talks a little bit about how you can be involved in what we're doing. But first, I encourage you to get to know your community. Get to know the people, go out. I saw that one of the mission, a part of your mission statement is about engaging with the community. And I think that's amazing. And I really encourage you to get to know your community. Um, it might be uncomfortable at first, but go out, go somewhere that you know you're going to meet someone of a different faith, and then get to know them. And then as faith conversation opens, talk about Jesus. Um, I want to encourage you to pray for us, and um, if you want to financially support our work as well, we have some projects and supporting the individual workers. I have a um, this, and then the next slide just lists the finances situation. Um, and then after this, I list some prayer requests, which I want to ask you. I have a little quarter sheet on the table back there. Take home. Pray for us. Um, so the next slide is the... This is our team. Yeah, that's fine. That's our team. These are some of the thing, ways you can pray for us as a team and for workers among Muslims. It's a very difficult uh, field because Muslims in general are so many people groups, but are comprise most of the unreached people groups in, in the world. And it's because their faith is so strongly, adamantly against Christianity, um, against our basic foundational doctrines. And many Muslims try to tell you right up front, oh, it's, we believe in the same God, you should just become a Muslim. And it's actually not even anywhere close to true, but um, we need to be able to, to answer that. So I ask you to pray for that. And the next slide shows some people. I mentioned the one on the bottom. Oh, sorry, go back. The one on the bottom is the boys that I was tutoring, the Bengali family, um, Fahim and Amin, and their family. I ask the, in the middle, you see one that says M, an Irani man. He lives with Paul and Claire. Uh, he has become a Christian since coming to the UK. So he left Iran, and he came to the United Kingdom, and there he found Jesus. 
But now he's a believer from a Muslim background, and he's seeking asylum in the UK. But if he does not, if that case is rejected and he gets sent back to Iran as a Christian, he's not likely to live very long. So we ask you to pray for him. Um, he's he's unashamed to be out on the street with us saying, you need to become Christian, you need to follow Jesus. I was a Muslim, but now I'm a Christian. Um, some Muslims, we encourage them to work at their own heart level. If they're not ready to tell everyone, you know, because it's a lot of persecution. But he's out there with us. Um, and Mona, the one on the top, um, my colleague Beth, her neighbor, um, at our Christmas ladies meeting, I was talking about what Christmas means to me and sharing about our Advent wreath. Um, how Jesus is, a, is hope and peace and joy and love for us. And she just sat there with wide eyes. She's a single mom, and she has come to church with Beth several times. It's a big step for someone who, if their family finds out that they're interested in Jesus, they're going to suffer. Um, but pray for her, because she's interested. Um, and then I just wanted to show you two or three slides. Um, some of you, if you're following a few Brethren in Christ things, might have known about me that I'm going to be getting married in September and my fiance is Pakistani. I met him in London. He came to do Bible school in London and he teaches at a Bible college in Lahore, Pakistan. So I'm going to be moving to join him there in the end of this year. Um, last year I visited and so these are a few pictures. You can go to the next one. Just a few pictures from when I was there. I do have um, my newsletter from my time when I was there on the sheet on the table as well. You can pick that up and look at those pictures. And the next one, that's his, him and his family. His name is Tariq. So lots of people say, how do you say it? It's Tariq. And um, this is a Christian gathering. I mean, they have, you can ask me lots of questions later about Pakistan and about Christianity, but they're allowed to worship freely. And they do suffer persecution, but by constitutional law, they are allowed to worship freely. So big gathering. Next one. We did a baptism in the creek um, whenever I was there, and some Muslims were watching and saying, what's this? You can talk about Jesus. You know, you have to be careful not to insult Islam, but you can talk about Jesus. And then the last one, I think. Oh, that's it. Thank you very much for having me. And afterwards, um, I'll be around. You can ask me lots of questions and take my prayer card. Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 23. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work which is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, 
The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. The word of the Lord. Angelina encouraged us to uh, be engaged with uh, Muslim friends and meet uh, the Muslim community where they're at. Well, Taj Indian Cuisine Restaurant, um, which is on Magnolia, uh, halal uh, uh, food, and uh, uh, the Muslim community goes there. So uh, go check it out the next time you feel like Indian food. Um, also, the Islamic Center here in Riverside, uh, Dr. Muhammad Kuko is the director of that facility. He's a wonderful, generous man uh, who loves to dialogue about faith and loves to talk about Christianity and the Dar es Salaam, the House of Islam. And uh, we've had some really interesting conversations. Uh, one year I was a uh, special uh, invitee of uh, Dr. Kuko's to a, a community iftar that was held during Ramadan on the seventh floor at City Hall. And uh, so I took Hutch Goodman along with me because he's into Muslim ministry. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was a powerful uh, experience of how the Muslim community sees itself in the midst of Christendom, uh, in the midst of a Christian place. And uh, we have tremendous opportunity to be salt and light uh, to our Muslim friends and neighbors that live all around us uh, in this city. So, a couple of things to, uh, to think about. It was uh, zero dark 30 in Bristol, England. Uh, Debbie and I had a cab ride to the airport. Uh, we stood outside Stuart and Sean Murray Williams's home in Bristol on, I don't make this up, on Effingham Road. <laughs> and uh, the cabbie drove up and uh, to our utter amazement, uh, our cabbie was a young woman in a burqa. Now, I, I'm not quite sure how she saw the rearview mirrors uh, in, in her burqa, but she was an English woman who had converted to Islam. Not because she married a Muslim, but because she was on a search for truth. She had a deep yearning for God. It's a, about a 20-minute ride from Stewart's house to the Bristol airport, and she basically gave us her testimony. Uh, I, I, we were sitting there, you know, we're being evangelized. Um, she had had a deep yearning for God, and the Quran had showed her the way. And the iman at the mosque spoke truth. And even though she sat in the back where women belong, she said. Um, just, no, that wouldn't work here. Um, <laughs> she had experienced for herself a sense of liberation. Here were some rules to live by. That in a world that was constantly shifting, that where everything was changing, here was 
unchanging truth. She had investigated and experienced in Islam what she was seeking, a, a way to make sense out of life. And I'm sitting here at oh dark 30, not having had sufficient amount of coffee to really engage in a good conversation, uh, wishing that I was better at responding in those situations. Because had you simply switched some references to a different scripture and switched from Muhammad to Jesus and Allah to Yahweh, that could have been a Christian testimony almost. There was such a vibrancy, such a commitment, such a passion. And basically I sat there like a bump on a log through the trip to the airport and kind of, mm, mm, mm-hmm, and heard her story. Someone who was deeply yearning for truth and wanted to be deeply committed to a community. There are foundations and there are foundations. Last Sunday we talked about two of the foundations that we build our faith on. We looked at Psalm 119 and we talked about the deep yearning for the scriptures that is, is given to us in that psalm, this, this desire for God's word. And then we looked at 1 Corinthians, and despite how dysfunctional and broken and messed up that church was, there was a clear call to leadership that serves. And in fact, part of the problem in the Corinthian church was that leadership had created factions instead of service. And so this Sunday we consider two additional foundations of what it means to be a resilient church. In Psalm 119, 33 to 40, the text that was read for us at the beginning of worship, we read the fifth stanza of a 22 stanza love poem to the Torah. The psalmist has, has taken the, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and begun a stanza with a word that begins in that letter. And this fifth stanza is a series of petitions to God about becoming a living practitioner of Scripture. Verses 1 through 8 speak about the love for the Scriptures. But verses 33 to 40 talk about the need to practice the Scriptures. Teach me the way. Help me to follow it to the end. Give me understanding to obey your law. Direct me in the path. There is my delight. Turn my heart towards your word, not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from that which is worthless. Preserve my life. Fulfill your promise so that you might be worshipped. Remove the disgrace for your word is good. Seven petitions that lay out a heartfelt cry. Help me practice your word. We folks who specialize in the New Testament, we say, be not hearers of the word only, but doers. 
God's Word isn't simply a thing we open up on Sunday morning and go, hmm, nice. It is ultimately to be the rule of our life, that which we practice. Now, I use the word practice deliberately because practice is where you mess up so that you can get it right in the game. My coaches in Oklahoma, where football is the civil religion, used to say, it's really not okay that you screw up in practice, but if you're going to screw up, screw up in practice instead of the game. And then they would yell and grab face masks and holler and be good Oklahoma coaches. Um, we practice the scriptures. And we practice them together. Because the purpose of Christian community is to help us figure out how to live this life out. It's to support one another and challenge one another, confront one another and love one another in the process of practicing God's Word. Because God's Word is a team sport. We can't, we can't do it alone. We can't do it by ourselves. Following Jesus is impossible if you try to do it without one another. It just isn't going to work. I, I've never seen it work. We need each other to be able to practice the scriptures in our lives so that we can live faithfully and in joyful surrender and celebration to the God who loves us so completely. <clears throat> and that's the exclamation in verse 40 of Psalm 119, this yearning again for the Torah, for all that it means, for all the joy and pleasure and happiness it provides. And frankly, most of us in Western Christianity in the 21st century think the Bible is a bit of a drag. It, it steals our fun. We've, we've turned the Bible into a bunch of do's and don'ts, and mostly don'ts. And in doing so, we have a difficult time accessing the deep joy that the psalmist has about practicing the Torah practicing God's Word, about moving from simply loving the notion of the Bible to actually loving the practice of the Bible. Our New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 10-23, uses a set of architectural metaphors to describe the Christian way, and basically says to us that without a foundation, there will be ruin. That's a pretty good building principle that you can't build anything of permanence without a foundation. You can pitch a tent without a foundation, but tents are not permanent structures. You want to build a house or a commercial building, you've got to have a foundation. And Paul uses that language in this passage to describe the project of what God is up to. 
He begins by saying, look, this is what master builders do. There are architects and there are contractors. There, there are those who design the great temples and then there are those who build them. And he's leaning on a principle of leadership there. And then he says, and the foundation of all of this is Jesus. Now there is the essential difference Christianity and all other ways of being. Jesus is the foundation. When we say yes to Jesus, what we are essentially saying is the house I've been building doesn't have an adequate foundation. And I'm going to knock it down and we're going to start over on this foundation of Jesus. Of all that he said and all that he did, and all that he believed in, which includes the Old Testament, and all that the early church reflected on about him, which we call the New Testament, those are our books to describe to us how to live the Jesus way. We're going to read Scripture the way Jesus read it. He's the foundation. There are all kinds of insufficient foundations, Paul goes on to explain, but the project that we are that we have this foundation for, Paul says, is that each of us are a temple being built. Now, i got to tell you, for for years and years and years, I read this 1 Corinthians 3 passage about temple, and I always had it described to me as, so eat right and exercise regularly, and you can tell how well I've done that in my life of discipleship. (laughs) But what Paul's really getting at here is The project, the building that goes on the foundation of Jesus is that each of us are a temple. That each of us are a place where God wants to dwell. God wants to dwell in your life. And the only way that's going to happen is for there to be Jesus at the foundation. And then God's work, building on that foundation building us into a temple. And then Paul pivots back to this whole question of wisdom that has been at the heart of the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians. And he says this simple reality, that Jesus is the foundation building in each of us a temple, that reality renders all other conventional wisdom irrelevant. Not wrong, necessarily. Not untrue, necessarily. Just irrelevant. What is relevant is that Jesus is the foundation and that God desires to build in each of us the capacity for God to live through us into the world. That's the project. And Everything else is irrelevant. If you're a contractor, John, help me out here. Okay. If you're a contractor and you're building a building, what's going on down the street from your building site is pretty irrelevant. It's, it's about the project that you're involved in. And So we in the church, what do we do? Well, we major in irrelevancies. We bring in all kinds of wisdom and we try to varnish it over the construction project 
and we realize we've used the wrong color paint, not the one that's in the specs. Because Jesus is the foundation at work building in us a temple. And the conventional wisdom of our time is a great adventure in missing the point. And then Paul makes his final comment to a broken and divisive and crazy-making church. He says, look, this is what leadership does. Majors on the foundations and on having the right building materials so that God can create in each of us a temple. Because you are in Christ, and Christ is in God. That's what he's up to. The point of leadership, and, and therefore the point of Christian community, is to help us understand God's construction project going on in each of our lives. To help us build in one another God's grace flowing through us into the world. So what's the point here? Taken together, last Sunday and this Sunday, our yearning for the Scriptures must be followed by a commitment to practicing the Scriptures. It's a little bit like the prayer meeting that went on for 20 years, and every week, the old guy in the front row prayed the same prayer. Lord, clean the cobwebs out from our minds. Lord, clean the cobwebs out. 20 years, every week, this guy would pray this at the prayer meeting. And finally, one night, in the back row, a voice shouted out, Forget the cobwebs, God, kill the spider. <laughs> we yearn for the scriptures. We think the Bible's great. We want, you know, we want every new translation of the Bible that comes down from the publishers and 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 we we love our Bibles. The point is to practice it. It's a little bit like having shoulder pads and never playing football or a baseball mitt and never having a catch. Practice makes perfect. A resilient church practices Scripture. And servant leaders then must lead as servants of Jesus, who is the foundation. In short, the foundation of a resilient church is the ability to read and practice Scripture in the way of Jesus, to understand that Jesus is the center of Scripture, that we interpret the Bible through Him, that we interpret it in the way of Jesus who meets everyone, anywhere, and who cares nothing about whatever baggage or orientation we bring to that encounter. Because here's the secret. Whatever your orientation is today is irrelevant. If you're conservative politically, 
it's irrelevant. You're liberal politically, it's irrelevant. You're left-handed, it's irrelevant. You're into the Second Amendment, it's irrelevant. You're into the First Amendment, it's irrelevant. What's relevant is that Jesus meets us wherever we're at. And he doesn't leave us there. He becomes the new foundation. Whatever orientation we think found is the foundational orientation to our lives, whatever we think our life is governed by, it is not if we say we follow Jesus. Because our foundation is Christ who builds us into a temple as we follow his blueprint. And so together as servant leaders, we all seek to be servants of Jesus, our foundation. So this morning, a couple of questions. How do we move from people who honor the Bible, who revere the Bible, and maybe even occasionally read the Bible, to people who actually practice the Bible? How do we make that shift in our lives? And secondly, how do we reclaim Jesus as the foundation of our faith? The foundation on which our lives, the temple of the Spirit, is built upon. One more thing. Menno Simons was a second-generation Anabaptist. He was a Dutch Catholic priest who, through a series of events, was drawn to these 16th century radicals. He was a prolific preacher, essayist, and pamphleteer. He began every one of his letters, every one of his essays, with 1 Corinthians 3.11. There is no foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And in his most noted essay, a reply to a reformed pastor, Gellius Faber, and so the essay is called Reply to Gellius Faber. <laughs> Menno wrote these lines, True evangelical faith does not lie dormant. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It serves those who harm it. It <coughs> serves those who harm it. It binds up that which is wounded. And being a 16th century misogynist, it has become all things to all men. True faith, true evangelical faith, grows out of our practice of Scripture built on the foundation of Jesus. It's lived out. True evangelical faith is lived out in ways like what Menno Simons describes. It's lived out by a people who put scripture to practice even when we're inconsistent, even when we're broken when we do it, even when we don't get it right the first time. True evangelical faith builds on the foundation of Jesus and leads us to the practice of scripture that transforms the world. Let's pray.
Grant us, Lord, the wisdom, the grace, and the ability to leave behind all of our self-identifying qualities and grasp to the only one that matters, that Jesus is our foundation. Give us courage to render irrelevant in our lives the conventional wisdom of the world and to live instead in the practice of your word. We confess that neither of those things will be easy for us. But in order to be the church, in order to be your people, in order to be salt and light and a witness to the world, we need that grace and that courage every day. So we pray, Jesus, be our foundation and help us to practice your word in our world. For we pray in the way of Christ. Amen.